You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. If you want my notes this morning, you can text notes to the number that comes on the screen and what is in front of me will be sent to you. How many ready for the word this morning? Second Samuel chapter 12, second Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse one, it says, then the Lord sent Nathan, who was a prophet to David. When he arrived, he said, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a great number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one small lamb that he had bought. He raised it. He grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup. It slept in his arms like a daughter. Someone say too close. Now a traveler came to the rich man who refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. Look at verse five. David burned with anger against him and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die because he has done such a thing and shown no pity. He must pay for the lambs four times over. Verse seven. Then Nathan said to David, but you're the man. This is what the Lord God says of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave the house of Israel to Judah. And if that was enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the command of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight? You put Uriah the Hittite to the sword. You took his wife as your own. You have slain him with the sword of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite as your own. Verse 13 says this, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I came to tell you this morning that sin steals joy, but Jesus returns joy. The title of this message is Strengthening in, uh, the Foundations of Faith, the Joy of Salvation. Let's pray. So Lord, we declare that your word is true. Let every man be a liar. We declare your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we hide your word in our hearts so we will not sin against you. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you breathe upon your written word, your logos word. I pray it would become alive today. Let it become rhema today. I pray, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying. We declare right now, no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is well Welcome in this place. We say fear, you have to go. We declare shame, you have to go. Any foul religious spirit, you have to go. We say, Holy Spirit, come rule and reign. Holy Spirit, we declare we don't make room for you. We give you the entire room. Father, I thank you. Nobody came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen and amen. 
Well, we are in a season that we're calling dunamis. The Lord spoke to us and said 2023 was a year of dunamis power. It was a year that he would strengthen and fortify us. Dunamis is when the Holy Spirit goes from resting on you to in you, abiding in you. So we're in this season where we are strengthening and fortifying the foundations of our faith. Today, I wanna talk about sin and salvation. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Turn to your second choice and say, and you. Sin is what you need to be saved from. Defining sin in the Greek is the word haftah, or in the Hebrew, haftah. It means this, fundamentally missing the mark. We borrow this from arrow, uh, uh, archers when they would shoot arrows. And if they would miss on the bullseye they were shooting from, they would yell sin because they had missed the mark. Sin is violating God's standards, God's standards, not your own standards, but God's standards. It's willfully doing what is wrong. Actions that violate the law or the moral standard of God. Sin is depravity, it's iniquity, it's transgressions, it's trespasses, it's a worldliness or purposeful disobedience. Sin are actions that are contrary to the will of God. See, there are sins that are actions or behaviors, and there is a state of sin that is an embraced lifestyle that people stay in. America is known as a Christian nation, but we are actually a post-Christian nation where we are in the process of turning our backs on God if we have not fully turned our back on God. See, the, 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 the state of sin is when you begin to call good evil and evil good. That's the state of our nation that we're in today. It's the state of our country that we're here today. That all things that God said is good, the world says or culture says is evil. And then everything that the Bible says is wicked, the culture says it's good. It is a state of sin. As I teach about sin, it's important to know what the original sin is. We find this in Genesis chapter three with Adam and Eve. It says, now the serpent or the devil was more crafty than any of the beasts in the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? The woman answered the serpent, we may eat from the tree of the garden, but about the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden, you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent told her, for God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom, she took the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. This is what's called or known as the original sin. God set up originally paradise, for him and mankind. But immediately, Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. And it's wild because there's a lot of people that look at Christianity, there's like, oh, there's way too many rules for Christianity. There's way too many things. I, I can't keep up. I, I, I'm not about that. But it's funny because when there was only one rule, Adam and Eve couldn't follow the one rule. I think God's like, okay, I tried giving them one. I'm gonna give them a 10. I'm gonna give them a top 10 just to help them go in the right direction. Now, don't be mad at Adam and Eve because if they didn't screw up, you would have after them. 
but sin entered the world and made its way through all humanity. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Scripture says that we were all born of sin. Psalms 51 verse five says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? Theologians debate, did, did David's father have an adulterous affair which birthed him in this sin? They, they, they question it, they, they wonder about it. But what we know for a fact is that all of us are born in a state of sin. There's a lot of people that say things like, I was born this way. Yes, we were all born of sin. And many of us struggle with different kinds of sin, but we were all born in the nature of sin. Just look at your children, they're sinners. I got a four-year-old who's a liar. My wife tells me I'm not allowed to call a four-year-old a liar, but he struggles with telling the truth. The other day he ran in the house and he goes, Dad, Preston called me a joke. <laughs> so I, I, I get my eight-year-old in the room because he's not allowed to do that. And so I called him in and, and, and I, I said, did you call your little brother a joke? <laughs> he's like, no, he's lying. He's like, no, I'm not. I said to, to, to my four-year-old, I said, did you call your brother a jerk? He goes, I can't remember. I'm like, liar? <laughs> All of us are born of sin. They got that from their mom, I can tell you for sure. <laughs> All of us are born of sin. It's a part of our fallen nature. Someone say, All have sinned. This is important because it's important you understand this. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. You want to know what the Greek is for all? Everybody. Some people just don't act like they had sin in their life. But scripture says everybody. Now this is wild. You got you to notice, uh, pay attention to this because those with the religious spirit like to pretend that they had never had sin in their life before. Let me give you an example. Luke 18, verse nine. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves and that were righteous and treated others with contempt. So Jesus is talking to self-righteous people. You ready? He said, two men went into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee or a religious leader. The other, a tax collector or a known sinner. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I think that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that guy over there, the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give all of my tithes. But the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He just beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified or forgiven rather than the other. Jesus is saying there's two ways that you can do this. You can pretend that you're not a sinner and that everybody else is beneath you. Or you can be one that humbly comes and says, Lord, I've messed up more times than I can remember. And even the times I've deceived myself, you know. But Lord, I ask you just to forgive me a sinner. Scripture says everybody has said. Just ask your grandma. She'll go scrolling through her old Elvis albums and tell you about the day. <laughs> but you want to be careful. Because some people say, well, we're all sinners. And so how far can I go to this line and still be okay? 
How close can I make it? You know what the, one of the most silly questions to ask your pastor is, pastor, how, how far can I go before it's sin? Well, how much can I drink before I'm drunk and, it's, and I'm in sin? Well, well, what if it's not a, a physical affair? What if it's just an emotional affair? Or, or what if I'm not gossiping? What if I'm just, you know, being real? Or whatever it is, it's how far can I get up to the line without crossing it? And, 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 and you're, you're, you're actually, you got the wrong point of view. Because scripture tells us to live above reproach. Living above reproach says, where's the line? I'm going to step back from this line. Because here's why. When you live above the approach, you're never in the line of the danger of sinning. Because you know you're going to make mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. We all have bad days. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have bad days. Just, I have bad, I'm going to be real. I have bad days. And, and, and some of us, our bad days cause us to do things that we regret. Or we wish we did. Or could potentially hurt ourselves, our lives, or our families, or those that we love. And so when you live above reproach, it means this. I'm not going near the line so that when I make a mistake, I'm still at a good place with God. I'm still at a good place with my family, in my community. But watch. But when, when, when I get too close to the line and I make mistakes, I get in, uh-oh. And then you have an uh-oh in your marriage. You have an uh-oh in your integrity. You have an uh-oh in your accountability. Watch. And you find yourself in a dangerous place because you've lived too close to the line. See, the wrong question is, what, what, what do I need to do to not be in sin? The right question is, does this please the Lord? Does my actions please the Lord? Does this conversation please the Lord? Where I'm going on Friday night, does it please the Lord? Who I'm letting live in my house and spend the night, does it please the Lord? Do my actions please the Lord? Hmm. Let me just give you a caution right here. You should be spiritually aware when people talk about their past with any fondness. You know, when someone's like, oh yeah, back in the day, you know, I just, I, I was in the club, you know, there's all the girls with me back in the day, you know, you like, why are you talking so weird? You're talking with a slur, like you're sloshed. Why, 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 why do you, but, but there's this little bit of this fondness about my past. Looking back, oh yeah, I gave that up for Jesus. Oh, you gave it up for Jesus, good for you. Wow, you did all that for Jesus? You're awesome. Where you're looking back on your past like you did something for God. See, those are the people that are usually have a, 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 a backslide really near in their future. See, the healthy way to look at your past is kind of like when you ran a red light. Have you ever read, light, read, ran a red light before? And you weren't paying enough attention. Maybe you're on your cell phone. Maybe you were you know, listening to music. Maybe just whatever it was. And you accidentally realized you ran a red light or stop sign. And then other cars are going around you. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And nothing happened. But you realize that you could have hurt yourself or somebody. That's how we should look at our past of like, whoa, the Lord saved me from eternal punishment. Whoa, God saved me from hell's fire. Whoa, God saved me from so much pain and separation. Ha, I should be in this car wreck. I should be in this disaster, but the grace of God. That's how we should be looking towards our past. Let me teach on sin for a moment. I get this question all the time. They say, pastor, is all sin the same? 
And typically someone takes James 2 from bad theology and they'll say something, they'll read the scripture in James 2, it says, if anyone falls in sin has become guilty of all sin. And in a poor theology, they'll say, see if all sin's the same. Because if you've committed any sin, you've committed all sin, so all sin's the same. That's like saying me going to my wife and saying, hey babe, I, I, I was speeding home and I shouldn't have been speeding and, 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 and I ran a red light because I, I was rushing home and, and, and I put myself in danger and I put, put other people in danger and, and I just wanna confess my sin to you. And she's like, Landon, why are you, sin, why are you speeding? Why are you breaking the law? What's, why are you anxious? What's going on? You shouldn't do this. Don't, you're gonna hurt yourself. Let, let's, let's figure this out. Or, or if I went and told my wife the same story and said, babe, I was speeding home and ran a red light because I was just with a, with a prostitute committed adultery on you. In fact, I've been doing this for the last 10 years and I, I just want to let you know, but the good news is, is that all sin's the same. How many would be at my funeral the following week? <laughs> okay. But, 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 what? but we, we like to say things like all sin's the same. Now watch, once you sin, you're in the category of sinner because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But not all sin is the same. Nor is all consequences for sin the same. In fact, if we look at Proverbs 6, verse 16, Jesus used some strong words. And, and here's what the Bible says. It says there's certain sin God hates. In fact, it says there's some that are an abomination unto him. What is an abomination? It is a heightened sin or a great sin. Look at Proverbs 6, 16 says. It says there are six things the Lord hates, seven yet are an abomination, a great sin unto him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devices wicked schemes, um, feet that run into evil, a false witness that pours out lies, or one who sows discord or gossip among the brethren. Now the Bible lists many other abominations or heightened sin, but these aren't even sexual ones that are listed in Proverbs 6. These are ones for the churchgoers. It says your lying tongue is abomination. Your gossip is abomination. When you went to small group and said, I really shouldn't say, and then started saying, it's an abomination. And here's what God says. He says he hates it. It is an heightened sin. Hmm. Let me ask this question. Is there any sin that God will not forgive? I love what Hebrews 4.16 says this. Let us then with confidence or boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I love, I love getting this question because there might some, be some people here today and, and you're like, that's cute, Pastor. You're talking about your four-year-old lion and, and, and things like that. But, but I, I've committed some pretty big sins. I, I've done some pretty wrong things. I, I, in fact, it's, it, it, it's evil. I, I, I've hurt people. I've done wrong. I, I, I've been grossly immoral. There, there, there's things that we don't even talk about in church that I've participated in. Surely I have done something that, 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 that can't be forgiven. Or maybe you don't think that for yourself, but you got a lying demonic spirit in your ear that's telling you over and over that God can't can, uh, forgive you. You've sinned too much. You're too far gone. You've made too many mistakes. And according to God's word, he says, boldly come before the throne of grace. Listen, Jesus is not afraid of your sin. And in fact, mercy was created for it because even before you were a sinner, the Bible says that Christ died for you. Here's what God's word is saying. There is no sin. Yeah, hear me today. No sin that is greater than the blood of Jesus. 
It is the highest authority. And no matter what you're tempted with, no matter what you're struggling with, the cross has forgiveness and mercy. Can I get an amen? amen. Scripture talks about one sin that's called a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mark 3, 28, Jesus said, truly I tell you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whoever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Years ago, there was this group of atheists that did this event called the Blasphemy Project. And they got a bunch of naive teenagers to get online and make videos of them trying to create blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, uh, sending their souls to eternal judgment in hell, mocking the Bible and Christianity. So they got a bunch of these impressionable teenagers to get online and make these videos trying to commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what I think is humorous about this video is despite their attempts to out sin or blasphemy God, they yet failed. Because blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not rejecting or mocking or yelling at God or making a video online. But blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a lifelong decision to reject the grace of God, to deny God to your very last breath. I love it when people come up to me at church and they're like, Pastor, I've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I get to smile, look them in the face and say, no, you did it. Because if you're worried about doing it, your soul has not been seared enough to the place to turn your back on God for all eternity. Watch all of us in our stupor, all of us in our sin, all of us in our moral decay has said things and done things and made mistakes that we do not feel proud of. But I'm telling you, watch, Jesus, the Bible says, went down to the miry clay, to the place that we were on our worst day and pulled us out, watch, and made us right again with God. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a life of rejecting God and attributing to Satan the works of the Holy Spirit. There's a great cost that's associated with sin. We see Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, the result of sin is physical and spiritual death. Spiritual death of sin is the separation between God and man. Many people think the punishment of Adam and Eve sinning was the land not producing and pain and childbearing. And that was a part of it, but the greatest punishment of sin was being removed from the presence of God. Genesis three says this, therefore God banished them, Adam and Eve, from the garden. Verse 24, he drove out the man and stationed an angel on the east side of the garden, along with the whirling sword of flame to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve were removed from the presence of God. They walked and talked with God. They were in the physical presence of God. But when they brought sin in, when they partnered with sin, they had to be removed from the presence of God because God would not participate. He would not commune with sin. 
See, it's the same thing that happens with us. Is that if you live a life of sin, if you reject the grace of God, the, the physical part, the physical wage of sin is burning in hell for all eternity. You say, pastor, that sounds harsh. I don't know if that's loving. No, what you're seeing on the news that claims to be love is not loving. Telling people what they want to hear is not loving. Scripture warns that we're coming to an age where men will abound, uh, abandon sound doctrine and they will just want people-pleasing, ear-tickling sermons to tell them what they want to hear. This is so important, church, because there's a lot of people in your life that you love or you think you love, but you do not love them if you do not care where their soul will be for all eternity. And the world is preaching tolerance. It's funny because they give none of their own. They call it acceptance when Jesus defines love as a choice. Matthew 7, 13 says this, enter the kingdom of God through the narrow gate for the highway to hell is broad. Its gate is wide. Many will choose that way. Church, the wages of sin is death in hell unless somebody pays for it. Romans 5, 6 says, just at that time while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God proves his love for us. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, salvation is Jesus saving us from the penalty of our sin. I told you I was going to preach on sin and salvation. I already taught on sin. What is salvation? Salvation is deliverance from the power and the effects of sin. It's the forgiveness of sin. It's eternal life. It is a spiritual rescue of the afterlife. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Church, let me be clear. Only Jesus can save you from your sins. Your lifestyle can't save you. Your money can't save you. Your notoriety can't save you. Your prestige can't save you. There is nothing that can save you from your sin except the beautiful blood of Jesus. Colossians 2.13 says, and you who are dead in your trespasses, your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us the trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with the legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over the cross. Jesus came to save you from your sin. It's what we call salvation. What does salvation look like? Philippians 2, 12 says, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a little confusion about when are we saved and how are we saved? So I wanted to strengthen and fortify your faith today by teaching you about salvation. 
There's three aspects to salvation or a process to salvation. And these are kind of churchy words, but I want to teach them, unpack them what they are. The first is justification. Say justification. Justification basically means this. You're not guilty. But it's weird because you are guilty, but you're not guilty. When I was in my early days of ministry, my pastor asked me to go to the courtroom and just go be there with a guy that's been attending the church and he needed a pastor to be with him. And so when you're the lowest man on the totem pole, you get all these fun jobs. And so <laughs> I'm showing up to the courthouse and, and they told me the story that, hey, how are you? Good to see you. Uh, my friend here. Uh, so, so I got distracted by Judy. <laughs> my, my pastor said, hey, they were... Uh, he, 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 I said, what, what happened? Why, why am I going here? And he said, he, uh, he, he robbed a convenience store. And, uh, and then he called his police on himself. I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's not the way I'd do it. <laughs> and uh, I get to the courtroom and he stands up and the, the judge says, how do you plead? And he says, not guilty, your honor. I'm sitting back, I'm looking like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The dude called the police on himself. But he's pleading not guilty. I'm like, bro, how are you gonna call the police on yourself and stand up there and plead not guilty? I'm like, dude, you are guilty. And that's how it is with us where we truly are guilty. What do you mean you're not? Of course you're guilty. You did it, you said it, you made mistakes, you sinned, you betrayed, you're guilty. Why? I, I am guilty, but watch, Jesus gets up and he said, no, no, I already paid the price. So watch, even though they are guilty, watch, they can plead not guilty because my blood paid the price. Justification means this, watch. Even though you do not deserve it, you are justified. Then after justification, we have regeneration. That's where you become a new creation. That's where the old is gone and the new has come. That's where we get the language born again. That's where we get new life in Jesus. Watch, this is important because some of you got saved because you came to the altar and God said, not guilty. But now the next process of this is this regeneration of this new life in Christ. This is when you stop saying, I was born this way, so I will stay this way. And that's where you say, I was born this way, but scripture says, I'm going to be born again. And when I'm born again, I'm born into his likeness. When I'm born again, I'm born into his strength. When I'm born again, I'm born into his righteousness. Watch, all of us have temptations, but this is where you say, I am not my temptation. This is where you say, watch, it's not my body, my choice anymore. I'm picking up a cross. I'm following him. I'm denying myself. This is the regeneration or the new life in Christ Jesus. Then the third step is sanctification. This is when you're becoming a saint. 
This is when you are living a holy life. This is when you're beginning to reflect Jesus. This is where you stay on the path of righteousness. This is when we look at your life. We do not see your failures. We do not see your mess ups. We do not see your mistakes. We just see Jesus in you. Oh, I love this part because when you, when you meet somebody and you didn't know them from the past, watch, because they never looked on their past fondness, but they, did, they knew that Jesus saved them from their past and they allowed the justification to become regeneration, to become sanctification. Watch, you only know them in their sanctification. You do not know them in their justification. Watch, so when you see someone like my wife who is a teenage drug addict, alcohol, alcoholic, on every drugs, ODing on drugs, living a wild lifestyle and you say I can't imagine Pastor Heather being like that watch because she wasn't like that watch it was the old man when you meet somebody that's been sanctified watch they talk about their past not with fondness but they talk about their past like it was a different person watch because they said the old me is gone the new me has come watch I know I did it but I've been made new in Christ Jesus I didn't mean to dishonor Cindy Jacobs. I was in the middle of a store and I saw our friend Cindy Jacobs. Can we honor our friend Cindy Jacobs? She's here with her family. I saw you trying to hide on the third row. I didn't see you until halfway in my message. This is so important because some of you have been declared not guilty, but you're still going back to the old man ways. This is that process of salvation. But no, you don't need to come to the altar every single time to get saved again. But yes, you need to repent constantly and keep with repentance. So watch, it's not that you need to be saved again, you need to be regenerated. You need to be made new. You need to be born again. We call this the state of grace or the Christian life. This is where you see the empowerment of the Holy Spirit give you the power to live a holy life. This is so important because a lot of people preach an improper grace where their version of grace is it's okay how much sin you commit because they're grace. And I would, I would warn you that that is heresy. What grace does is it empowers you to overcome every and all sin. Watch. It's not about justifying your sin. He does that. He said, I am the righteous judge. So I bore your sin. Watch. It's not that Jesus is not calling it sin. He's just calling it paid for sin but you gotta be careful because your paid for sin is not a license to sin. And you have to get into that next stage of regeneration, to sanctification, to a life that pleases the Lord. So let's deal with a few questions about salvation that always come up. I hear this a lot where people are like, well, how, how do I know that I know that I know that I'm saved? So I'm gonna give you a practical advice that you know that you know that you know. So if anyone's arguing or you see a silly YouTube video on baptism and someone told you you're not saved or you met some religious joke <laughs> that tells you you're not saved or you didn't do it right or you didn't pray it right, hate to break it to you, but the prayer of salvation is actually not in the Bible. 
How do you know that you're saved? Let me show you, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, look at this, you will be saved. How are we saved? We are saved, listen Christians, by grace through faith. Not because you're a great Christian, not because you serve, not because you got a talent, not because people know you. You are saved by grace through faith. This is a great scripture to memorize. Those that are memorizing scripture this year, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So let's answer this question that comes up in the church all the time. Can I lose my salvation? And the answer is no, you cannot lose your salvation like you lose your car keys or phone. Hey, which one of you kids took my phone? Where you misplaced your salvation. You may be in the justification, regeneration, sanctification stage. So you cannot lose your salvation like you would lose an article. But you sure can reject it. You sure can turn your back on his saving grace. You sure can grieve the spirit of grace according to 1 Corinthians. Let me give you this scripture, 2 Peter 2.20. It says, and when people escape the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so Christ followers, then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than to know it, than reject it. So no, you cannot lose your salvation, but you sure can reject it. And it is a dangerous theology to think that no matter what your behavior is, that you do not have to honor God with your actions. David found himself in a dangerous place. Second Samuel chapter 12 is a story that we opened up with. It's a story of the giant killer. And of everyone in the Bible, Jesus, Paul, maybe Peter, David, Moses, Abraham. I mean, this is the top 10 guy. I mean, this is that every, every young millennial worship leader wants to be like David. They named their ministries after David. Why? Because David had a, 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 he was a man after God's own heart. Saul slain thousand, David's ten to thousand. He was a man, man, warrior, but poetic and cool and, 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 and artistic. Like he relates to everyone in all categories. He was in the cave of Dulam, a mighty man. Every man wants to be like him. All the creatives like him. I mean, David was a popular guy. He's one of the heroes of our faith. And he went from slaying giants to slaying husbands. And when we think about David being our hero, no one thinks about 2 Samuel chapter 12. We think about the great exploits. We think of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Samuel, all the 2 Samuel. And then we get to this part. And scripture says that David began to stop fighting like he used to fight. He began to stop worshiping like he used to worship. 
He began to change, watch, the way he honored God. And when kings went out to war, David stayed back. And he's on the rooftop when he should be out in warfare. And he sees a woman bathing. And scripture says he inquires about her. After he inquired about her, they told him her name is Bathsheba. She's one of your mighty men's wives. Despite knowing it was one of his mighty men's wives, he said, bring her to my bedroom. He not only sleeps with her, he impregnates her. And then he needs to fix the situation. So his idea of fixing the situation was not repenting to everyone. It was making sure her husband husband died in battle. He gave message in the thick of the battle, pull everybody back, leave Uriah to die. That's how he repaid his mighty man. Now David is full of sadness and sorrow, committed one of the greatest sequences of mistakes of his entire life. And here's what we know by scripture is he lost his joy. How did he lose his joy? Watch, he began to entertain sin. Watch this church. One of the greatest heroes of our faith that no one in the body of Christ does not look up to or admire lost his joy when he began to entertain sin because it doesn't matter who you are or how big your kingdom is or what you've done for God or how many people know you or how prophetic you are or how you move in the spirit. Listen, there is no respecter of persons and there is not one person, watch, the entertaining and engaging in sin will not ruin and steal your joy because the purpose of sin is to steal your joy. So David said, I want to go back to that place where I was right with God. I want to go back to when I was dancing as his presence came in and the ark came into Jerusalem. I want to go back to the place where I was calling out a giant saying, who are you to defy the armies of the living God? I want to go back to the place where I'm in the field just worshiping God, him and I. I want to go back to the place where I slayed lions and bears. I want to go back to the place where I was in love with him. The psalmist wrote this. I want to go back to the joy of my salvation. Psalms 51, put it up on the screen. It's a reflection of this moment where David commits the greatest sin of his life. And at the end of this psalm, he's crying out to the Lord. And he's saying this, verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. David said, where did my joy go? Watch, I'm in the palace. I have more money than anyone else in history. I have everything I can buy. I'm the most powerful, most famous man in the world, but I still lost my joy because of sin. There is no place that you can get to in life where sin cannot steal your joy. And David said, watch, 
The money couldn't do it. The kingdom couldn't do it. The fame couldn't do it. The only time I had joy is when I was right with God. The only time I was truly happy when I was right with the Lord. He said I would be willing to give up anything and everything just to have my joy restored. He began to cry out to a merciful God. Have mercy on me. Watch church. This is how you do it. When the trials come in your life, you have to return to the joy of your salvation. When sin is knocking at your door, you have to return to the joy of your salvation. When you're being tempted beyond what you think you can bear, you need to return to the joy of your salvation. When you're going through the storms of life, you need to return to the joy of your salvation. When you're going through the trials and the fire, you need to return to the joy of your salvation. David said, let me return my joy to the one thing the one thing that satisfies me here's what it says the last thing he prayed I love this and uphold me with a willing spirit this is wild because David only made this kind of mistake once and here's what he said Not only restore to me the joy of my salvation, watch. He said, I don't even want to ever lose it again. He said, Lord, uphold this willing spirit. As I was preparing this message, I heard the Lord tell me to look at this passage again. He said, do you see the dunamis? We're in a season where we're stewarding this season of dunamis power to be strengthened and fortified. We know according to Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. There was a prophetic word that we would dance from our conference into this new year and keep dancing. That when we sowed our heart for mercy offering, there would be a new season, a foundation of joy. Watch this. When David prayed, renew a steadfast spirit in me. What he was saying with this, I never ever again want to have to return to joy. Because I never want to leave it ever again. He said, I don't want to return to joy. Watch. I want to abide in joy. I want dunamis. What is dunamis? When the spirit comes from on you to in you, it begins to abide in you. He was saying this, I want to abide in joy. Watch the joy of your salvation, church, is when you abide in joy. Watch, you don't have to return to it. You don't have to go back to it because you live in it. Watch, so that when the trials come, you're in joy. When the temptation comes, you're in joy. When the attacks come, you're in joy. When they lie about you, you're in joy. When you're persecuted, you're in joy. Watch, you never leave the joy of your salvation. Uh, Sin comes to steal joy. But Jesus came to give it back. That you never have to leave the place of the joy of your salvation. Stand to your feet all over this place. Would you lift your hands as high as they go? And would you just begin to love on the Lord for a moment? Where you don't need words for me to tell you what to say. 
from your heart, just love on the Lord, on the balcony, online, in every mercy culture community, in Houston, in Austin, in California, and in Canada, in Arizona, wherever you're watching from, every community, every person, just begin to love on the Lord right now. Let words come out of your mouth of love to the Lord. Let words come out of your mouth of love to the Lord. Don't think about what you've done for God. Don't think about your name. Don't think about your title. Don't think about your resume. Don't think about your ministry right now. Just you, a son, a daughter, just a son and a daughter loving on your God with everything in you, all that is in you, just love on the Lord. Stop. Everybody look at me. Oh, this is so cool. I felt the Lord just showed me something. The enemy always tries to get you to think about your mistakes, your sin, your inabilities, and your shortcomings. He harasses you with them. To begin to lead you and distract you from joy. We're gonna do this one more time. I don't want you to think at all about any of your weaknesses, your mistakes, and your shortcomings. Uh, I just want you to think about how good he is. Lift your hands as high as they go. Close your eyes tight. Ignore everyone around you. Ignore the person that brought you. Who cares what anyone is thinking? What is God thinking about you? And he is so madly in love with you. He is so madly in love with you. He adores you right now. I want you to think about the time you encountered God first. I want you to think about the time you gave your life to the Lord. I want you to think about the joy of your salvation. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 